Hi, this is Alan K. Rohde, author and film historian, and you are listening to Tim Millard's podcast, The Extras. Hello and welcome to The Extras, where we take you behind the scenes of your favorite TV shows, movies, and animation, and their release on digital, DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K, or your favorite streaming site. I'm Tim Millard, your host, and joining me today for our last podcast of 2023 is George Feldenstein of Warner Brothers. Hi, George. Hi, Tim, and happy holidays to you. Happy holidays, (laughs) yes. Um, It's a busy, busy time of the year, but uh, we'll we'll get another podcast in here for everybody to enjoy. And I thought, you know, it's the end of the year, so it's always kind of uh, the time when you look back a little bit. So uh, I know you and I were talking, it felt like it would be fun to have a year in review 2023 podcast, but as you, uh, as you look back at the year, George, what is some of your just kind of overall thought about how the year went? Well, it was a huge, huge improvement over what I'd have to call an anemic release schedule in 2022, which was, uh, something that I was not very happy about. And I had to basically convince several people that we needed to get the business back where it was. And thankfully, contrary to a lot of people's beliefs, the the current management of the company is very supportive of Warner Archive and very supportive of preservation. And uh, we need to be grateful that they see the benefits of preserving our films and making them available to people and improving the status so that they can qualify to be a Warner Archive Blu-ray. So we went from 22 releases in 2022 to 62 releases in 2023. I'm hoping that 2024 will eclipse 2023 in terms of number of releases and popularity. Um, I'm hoping that we're able to diversify and continue to grow in all areas, more classics, more animation, dare I say television, and even, of course, more contemporary films that have been forgotten or overlooked, or most importantly, those that are not overlooked and people are crying for. Right. So trying to please everybody is impossible, but that's what we try to do. And I think what we did in 2023 is a good balance of representing a good attempt at trying to attend to a lot of gaping holes and needs and filling people's shelves with discs. And uh, we're very proud of 2023, but we're not looking back. We're heavily at work on 2024 as we speak. And by the time people hear this podcast, 2024 may already be here or be on the horizon if you're listening early. So it's exciting. Well, we do want to kind of run down some of the top titles from the year because I think that's of interest to people. You know, we we see these, what did you say, over 60 titles released this year. And um, I mean, that's an amazing number. But of course, most people didn't buy necessarily all 60. So it's interesting to hear what other people might have been interested in outside of a, a person's own interest. So we'll go through that uh, for those listening a little bit later on here. 
But I wanted to take a minute. Uh, I was thinking about this year and um, I was thinking about just, you know, how robust of a year it's been and how to think about it. And I, I came up with what I'm calling Tim's top six takeaways from the year about the Warner Archive. It's a little self-serving. I get that. But I thought it would be interesting to get your take on on some of these takeaways that I had because um, it's been so much fun this year going through these titles with you. Um, so first off, let me do number six. And the takeaway here at number six for me was Westerns. I mean, we just had what I thought was a great amount of Westerns released this year. And they ended up being some of my favorite releases. And I'll just mention a few. Fastest Gun, Wichita, Cimarron, and Westward the Women. And those last two I thought were exceptional releases. Westward the Women is one of the releases I'm most proud of and happy about. Simply because it is so unknown and underappreciated. And I've never really understood why because it's just a sensational film. I happen to be prejudiced uh, when it comes to William Wellman, because I can think of very few films he directed that I don't love. But this is really a film so ahead of its time. And uh, the disc itself has extras of great importance, especially Scott Iman's amazing commentary. It is just a terrific And I would say an alternative Western. It's not your typical formula film. So I'm thrilled about that. I'm thrilled about the restoration that went into Cimarron because the film elements we were working with were deplorable, to put it mildly. Right. And our colleagues at Motion Picture Imaging and the mastering team, they really outdid themselves in overcoming the problems within that film from the film element point of view and be able to have a presentation that's remarkable for a motion picture that is, uh, you know, getting close to 95 years old. So uh, all impressive on all counts. And there will be more Westerns in 2024. I can promise you that. Well, let's jump to my number five takeaway. And that is more noir. There were just a ton. I, I've told you how much I enjoy that noir genre, but there were just a ton of fantastic releases, some probably highly anticipated and some lesser known, but you had Caged, Border Incident, The Dam Don't Cry, Clash by Night, and Angel Face, among others. And uh, I, I thought that was terrific how many noir you were able to release this year. And I'm hoping that number will increase in 2024. As we record this, I've had verbal approvals to be able to move forward on a whole bunch of things, but I can't say it, you know, until I literally get the email that says these are all approved. And, you know, I've been verbally told that everybody's preparing for it. But if everything that I've asked for comes to pass, there are going to be a lot of people very, very happy with 2024. And March 23rd, 2024 is our 15th birthday. And we intend to celebrate that in style. So. Well, that's a, that's a great tease. And I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So we'll have to come up and do something special for the podcast as well for that. For sure. 
Number four on my, my takeaway from this year is just simply Joan Crawford. <laughs> there appeared to be a lot of terrific films from multiple decades that you released. I mean, we had Flamingo Road, The Dam Don't Cry, Dance Fools Dance, Our Dancing Daughters. I mean, we're talking about from the silent right. uh, era all the way up to the 50s, I believe. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm really excited about the fact that those films were so well received and that we were able to go from Flapper Joan of 1928 to The Damned Old Cry in 1950. And given how many films of hers are in our library, there are so many that are worthy of the upgrade to Blu-ray that are waiting in the wings. And that brings up another point is... I saw a lot of people moaning and complaining because people love to complain on the internet, complaining about the fact that we had no Betty Davis releases in the WB 100th year. Because when people think of Joan, they usually talk about Betty and we have some more Betty waiting in the wings and it shouldn't be forgotten what we were able to do with films like The Letter and the private lives of Elizabeth and Essex and Jezebel in recent years. So Joan was kind of getting ignored for a while. And it's just the way uh, restoration work that goes on before we begin mastering can take many years, maybe a year, maybe only two months. So there are so many things that we're waiting on that we've been waiting on for a long time, but I'm hoping that we'll be able to have more Joan Crawford, more Betty Davis, and of course, all the other stars that represent our library, not only from the Warner Brothers side, but from the MGM side up through 1986 and of course through RKO. And as you mentioned, film noir, there are some critical film noir upgrades necessarily of things that only were out on DVD that are from the top directors and really uh, well-regarded films. And uh, those will be hopefully part of the 2024 lineup. Well, those were just a fantastic number of films. And I, uh, I just really enjoyed getting deep into the Joan Crawford uh, library this year. And I know there's still so much more, but I just think when you can point to, you know, four terrific releases from the same actress, it's worth noting. And that kind of leads me to number three. And I think there's three releases from this actress. And I watched the most recent one, Anna Christie, last night. And it just dawned on me that this has been a great year for fans of Greta Garbo with Camille, Queen Christina, and now in December, Anna Christie. And that has to make a lot of people, I think, probably pretty happy. Well, those are among her most famous films, and their absence from Blu-ray was really terrible, frankly. We wanted to try to make up for that. Up until this point, the only Garbo films available on Blu-ray were Grand Hotel and Ninochka. Admittedly, two of her most famous but even with the ones that we did get out this year, there are so many more. There are very few of her films that aren't excellent. And the ones that are excellent that haven't been released yet 
are definitely on our radar, and I'm hoping that we'll be able to get to them sooner than later. And the package that you put together with these, George, I know some of them were the same as on the DVD, but just the fact that uh, Anna Christie has the German version, and I think, uh, was it Camille had the the old silent version? I mean, you just put together a terrific, terrific package for the Blu-ray, I thought, uh, on these releases. Well, thank you. We're trying our best. Well, that kind of leads me right into number two. And I mean, this is my own personal list, just things I enjoyed and noticed from the year, but I'm calling it pre-code gems. I just thought that these restorations of these films, the films are fantastic, but the restoration that you did on these 80, 90 you know, year old films was stunning and worth uh, just noting high up on my list. And I'm talking about Safe in Hell. One-Way Passage, Our Dancing Daughters, which we mentioned briefly, Christopher Strong. I mean, these just look and sound terrific, these restorations. And they're really, really good films. Absolutely. And of course, Safe in Hell was basically a forgotten film. And I think I mentioned this on our earlier episodes or one episode of, of the extras where we talked about Safe in Hell. As far back as 1956, the only existing 35 millimeter element of any kind was just this release print that was uh, on deposit at the Library of Congress that served for our restoration. Our DVD uh, that came out in 2010, I believe, was taken from the existing master we had, which was taken from 16 millimeter which we almost never would accept, but we didn't think there was anything else. It was missing from our records that this one element still existed. And with the support on a promotional level of the Film Foundation in selecting 10 Warner Brothers films, they recommended that we preserve and restore for our centennial. Uh, Safe in Hell was one of those. All the work was done at Warner Brothers by our amazing colleagues at Motion Picture Imaging and our preservation department. But the Film Foundation blessing these titles as the most important, or not the most important, but among the most important Warner Brothers films that should get a special highlight, that did a lot for putting a little bit more promotional emphasis under certain films that may not have received it. I totally agree about Safe in Hell and especially One Way Passage, which is so remarkable in the superb performances and the efficiency with which the film was made. It's barely an hour long, but it is a penultimate classic. And I'm hoping that we're able to do more pre-code films in the following year, uh, we've got a couple that I've asked for, which I think will make people very, very happy. Film noir and pre-code are the classic genres that I believe have the most magnetic power to drawing in younger audiences that may not be familiar with classic film. Because when they sit down and watch them, they're basically transfixed to what they're seeing. And I think the importance of those genres and the films 
that are among the best of them. Thankfully, we seem to have the uh, monopoly on most great pre-code and a huge amount of film noir. Not as much of a monopoly on film noir as we have on pre-code. That's not to say other studios don't have great pre-code movies in their libraries. They, they all do to some degree, but we are blessed with a plethora of them. And that's why we were able to do 10 Forbidden Hollywood DVD box sets. And I would love it if all of those films could make it to Blu-ray. But the cost of doing that, you know, people are now screaming, when is this coming to 4K? It's like, we haven't even gotten to Blu-ray yet. And the cost to make a 4K release is four times what it is for a Blu-ray release. And we have to show a profitable bottom line in order to continue. What we're doing now with 4K scanning of the best elements and coming out with a new high-definition master that is pristine and of the highest quality it really does make these films shine. And I'm hoping we can do that to more films uh, in the year to come. Well, that whole er element of preservation, restoration, which I know the Warner Archive is a part of, you know, you're at the table when those uh, discussions happen. I just think it's a terrific part of what it is that you do. And that Warner Brothers is expending so much energy to be sure that these these pre-code gems are restored properly and get out uh, to the public. So uh, thank you for that and all the efforts uh, there. Thank you for your support of them. And also to clarify, I work extremely closely with our preservation team in recommending what titles should get a restoration and a preservation treatment. And they understand that I have a familiarity with these films but it's a balance of what we want to work on and also what needs to be saved because there are certain films that need what we refer to as triage. Elements are in bad shape and we're about to lose them. I think I spoke once on your podcast, perhaps, about a film that we licensed to our partners at the wonderful Criterion Collection uh, it was an RKO film, and when we pulled the original negative, it was just about to go. I mean, we were able to capture the images and preserve them before the camera negative. It wasn't as much decomposition as the image was literally fading from the negative. So it was caught just in time. Mm. And we have a lot of other films you know, yesterday I was looking through a specific group of short subjects and I noticed that, oh, this negative went vinegar and do we have proper protection? I wrote a note to my colleague saying, if you haven't done anything on this, you better do it now because it looks like we need to be moving on this. So when you've got 8,000 features and probably 20,000 short subjects and cartoons, not to mention hundreds of thousands of television episodes. Everything needs to be attended to. And how do you deal with that? Our preservation team is amazing. And I feel blessed to be able to work with people who are as dedicated as I am 
to the process of making sure that these films are preserved for future generations and can be presented in outstanding ways. We still have so far to go because the less known a film is, the more obscure it is, even if it isn't necessarily a bad movie. It could be a great film, but it may just have a lull in popularity because of age. If it's a film from the 1930s uh, with people who aren't known at all, even by certain people who consider themselves film buffs, you know, with the passage of time, the older movies become more subject to being overlooked. And that's what we're trying to do is to make sure that films aren't overlooked. It's a daunting concept. We can only do as much as we can do with the staff that we have, but they're doing an amazing job. And the net result is in the 62 beautiful Blu-rays that came out this year, every one of them was worked on by dozens and dozens of people all doing exceptional work in picture and sound, restoration and presentation and mastering. And that gets us the releases that we get to bring to the public on Blu-ray. The support of consumers of these releases, especially at the time they're first released, when we have the most obvious opportunity to be able to earn back our costs and make profit for the company. That's what we're here to do is to salvage the library, protect the library, and also provide incremental revenue to our shareholders because we are a public company and our company needs money. And when I can bring in more money than people expected from films that to other people's eyes are not as valuable as I believe them to be. And then I can prove to everyone, hey, people really want to see more Cagney and more Bogart and more Flynn and more Betty Davis and or film noir or pre-code. It goes on and on and on. Or a film from the 60s that may have been a cult film 55 years ago that now people have forgotten about. Right. So 1968 is 55 years ago. There was a lot happening in cinema at that time that I think is being overlooked. So it's just a matter of trying to do the best that we can in keeping up with this. But I think what we've got coming next year will be very exciting for people. Uh, It's going to be very diverse and a reflection of the hard work of everybody on the team here at Warner Brothers. Well, I'm going to stop talking here pretty soon and let you get into talking about some of the, the favorite titles from the consumer. But to wrap up my part of this takeaway from this year, I'm going to say my number one takeaway was animation is back. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, if it was just one Looney Tunes collection that you had released this year, that would have been amazing. But I'll just mention a couple of the others that I personally enjoyed and that was uh, that I thought was great for the fans out there. And that's Gay Paris, which we did a whole podcast on. And I was very effusive in my praise of that restoration and film. But there was also Cats Don't Dance and the Yogi Bear film that was released. So I just thought that was great news. And I just tell you the popularity of the podcast when we talked about 
these animated titles was through the roof. And I think part of it was because there just hadn't been much in the pipeline for, for a little while. And so that pent up demand was part of that. Well, I would agree is very gratifying. The sales performance of the Looney Tunes collections has been very rewarding and has made it possible for us to be working on volume three as we speak. Hopefully not too long from now, we'll be able to let people know when it's coming and what will be on it. We have a lot of other animated initiatives that are waiting in the wings that will be a little different and please other groups of people who may love Looney Tunes a great deal, but are looking for something else as well. Because people who love animation and the animation enthusiasts, of which I proudly consider myself one as well, they like lots of different kinds of animation. We had a very, very good start in our early years in DVD of being able to diversify and bring out the less known Hanna-Barbera TV shows and things like that. I'm hoping that we get to do the same thing now on Blu-ray with a whole paradigm of animation, both created for theaters and television and spanning decades. So that's the plan. That's the hope. It's certainly not a done deal yet, but that's what I'm proposing. Well, that wraps up my takeaways, George. And I think now fans will probably want to hear from you about just some of the top titles in terms of popularity for 2023. What do you, you know, how do you want to kind of dive into that? You want to just talk about some of the top 10? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll put Looney Tunes aside because we just mentioned that and those were exceptionally successful releases. And in fact, uh, by far our best-selling releases for 2023. Even though Looney Tunes Volume 2 has only been on the market for two weeks, Volume 1 is in the top one spot and Volume 2 is in the second spot. One of the, not surprises, but one of the delights, I'd say, is we had huge success with King Solomon's Minds. The popularity of that film and seeing it really like it was shot through a yesterday lens in Technicolor, the new restorations scanning the original negative at 4K and creating that new master with sharp, precise images because we're able to recombine the Technicolor primary negatives for alignment in a way that was impossible even 10 years ago or 20 years ago when we first started the process where we'd break the screen into 16 sections and align each of those sections. Now we're able to do it down to the pixel with unprecedented sharpness and definition. So King Solomon's Minds performed very well. Another really, really successful film, again, not a surprise, was The Long, Long Trailer. In my home video career, from video cassette to Laserdisc to DVD, this has always been a big seller. Everybody loves Lucy and Desi. This was really the first time I got to see the film look good at all. It had always looked fuzzy and brown and everything that Ansco color can make unappealing. 
but handled properly, it can be gorgeous. And this turned out very well and was a huge, huge seller. We mentioned this before, but the Garbo films, Queen Christina and Camille, and I hope Anna Christie will fall in line as well. It was just released a week ago as we record this, so it's hard to know what the numbers are going to be yet, but I anticipate all of these Garbo releases will be equally as successful, but Camille and Queen Christina were tremendous hits. The Prince and the Showgirl performed exceptionally well. People obviously love Marilyn Monroe, and that was a gaping hole in her Blu-ray availability, and we were glad to be able to do that. You know, when we have a series of films, you could always tell what the future is going to be by how the first one goes. We released the first Thin Man movie, and people were like, well, were they really going to do all six? And the first Thin Man movie was a huge success. And that gave us, we had a little bit of a pause until we got the financial support. We were able to do all the rest of the five. I'm happy to say that even in this early, early time, the superb performance of Tarzan the Ape Man bodes well for more Tarzan in the future. It may not happen at all in 2024 because it's not been considered. And kind of what we asked for for 2024 is really in process. But I think just like with The Thin Man and after The Thin Man, you know, there was a little little more than a year before the rest of them started coming. We certainly would like to see more of the Johnny Weissmuller films And for the later Tarzan fans, there's still some super Tarzan films with Gordon Scott that I would like to see done. And even the later ones with Mike Henry, there's so many different fans of different Tarzans. But the popularity of the character is undeniable. And I'm so grateful that fans have embraced Tarzan the Ape Man And the indications bode similarly well. We're more than a month away from the street date for a day at the races. But I'm hoping that that will be as successful as a night at the opera, which will then lead the way to more Marx Brothers movies, which I know people want. Also very successful this year, one of my personal favorite Crawford movies, The Damn Don't Cry, really hit it out of the box. It did very, very well, as did Flamingo Road. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to release more Crawford classics for sure. Dangerous When Wet was a big success. Again, Technicolor, Esther Williams, gorgeous photography. Film never looked better. We also released Neptune's Daughter to great success. So I'm hoping we'll have more Esther Williams. This one is too early to call a bonanza, but all indications are that the great Ziegfeld is going to be among our best performers. And people have waited a long time for that. You already mentioned Cats Don't Dance. That and Hey There, It's Yogi Bear and Gay Puri all were tremendously successful and well-received. As were what we talked about before, the, the pre-code, Safe in Hell, One-Way Passage, they did extraordinarily well. And last but not least, Land of the Pharaohs, 
for all its campy glory, the fan base for those Sword and Sandals movies is very, very strong. And uh, we had great success with many of them that we released on DVD. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to get a little deeper into the genre because action adventure, especially from uh, the 50s, there's a lot to be gleaned from that that people will enjoy. Again, we're trying to hit all the genres. We could release 30 titles a month. I wish we used to do that with DVD when we first started manufacturing on demand. That would be impossible now. And also you'd be flooding the market. But I wish that we could release more titles per month. But we're looking at keeping that six or so features every month and hopefully being able to add a little more here or there and try to broaden what we're trying to do and get to so many of those. A lot of films that we released on DVD for the first time, people want to see those on Blu-ray and it's my trying to get other individuals I work with to believe that it's worth the investment to upgrade. And so far, when they've listened to me and uh, they give a green light to what I want to do, the results have all been profitable. Everything we've released this year has been profitable. We haven't had one title that didn't perform enough to earn back a profit from what we uh, expended. That is a very healthy way to run a business. And that's what we're trying to do is it's that fine balance between art and commerce. And fortunately, we seem to have hit a stride. I think we always tried to do that. And this has always been a successful business. When they cut our release schedule down to 22, yes, our profits declined because we weren't releasing new product. This year, 62 releases versus 22 releases, bingo. Revenue is up, profits are up, and generally more than they were two years earlier, which means that in this era where people are talking about physical media is on a decline, not at the Warner Archive. It's very much on the upswing. That is all due to consumer support. And everyone out there who's listening to this podcast that has supported our releases, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And we hope that we're doing right by you and we want to do better. We know there's always room for improvement. And I think just the way 2023 was a big step over 2022, I'm hoping that 2024 will do the same and be even better than 2023. Well, those are all terrific films, and it's fun to hear kind of what connected with the public in terms of sales. And I know when I was looking back at, because there were so many films, I was like, oh, I'll I'll pick five that I just thought were terrific. I couldn't do it. And that's why I kind of did that, uh, the themes or whatever. There are so many things that we did last year that I'm so proud of and that, that, you know, we didn't talk about, like, Confessions of a Nazi Spy and Border Incident. Right. Uh, You know, there are just so many outstanding films that really needed a second chance. I'm grateful that we were able to do that and hopeful that next year will, as I said, 
with March 23rd being our 15th birthday. And it hasn't been an easy 15 years, to say the least. And we've gone through a lot of changes. We've had to overcome a lot of obstacles. And we're still fighting the good fight because it's always a fight. But this year, we definitely came out on top. And it's thanks to the consumers and the fans who support our work, who let us know how much they enjoy it. It's always particularly gratifying to me when I get a little note from someone who says, hey, check out the Facebook page. Somebody wrote something really nice about a release. People will not run to their computers to post praise, but they certainly will do so when they want to complain about something that's not right. So when someone takes the time to say, hey, you did a good job, it means all the more to us. And we're very grateful to the fans that have been supporting us since our inception in 2009. Well, you may not hear all of the praise and the positive, uh, George, but I do hear a lot of it as well. So I want to be sure that you know that there are so many people out there that appreciate the work that you do. And having worked with you at Warner Brothers, I've seen you at work. There's no harder working person at Warner Brothers when I was there than you. And you have so much knowledge and your fingers and so many different things going on there. And I think people do realize it. And I think a lot of people, like you said, they just, they don't always run, run to, uh, to say or comment about it on the social media. But I know you have a lot of supporters, including myself, for the great work you do there. And I just want to thank you for a terrific year for all of the great releases that uh, you and the Warner Archive and everybody there at Warner Brothers has done this year. And we're just going to celebrate it here at the end of the year. It was a terrific, terrific year. And Tim, let me thank you from the bottom of my heart and on behalf of everybody who's involved in making Warner Archive releases a reality. Without the support of you and the extras to get our message out, especially since we lost our own podcast, the ability to communicate to the fans in a very discreet and intimate way that's personal is invaluable. And you've been able to make that happen. And I thank you very much for it, my friend. Well, you're very welcome. And thank you. And I look forward to a terrific 2024. And I wish you a happy holiday. Happy holidays to you, Tim. Take care. Well, as always, thanks to George for coming on the podcast to give us a wrap up for 2023 for the Warner Archive. And I just had a great time talking about all of these titles. And it's not going to stop, of course. It's just a turning of the calendar. And there's a great amount of terrific releases for January. And then George and I also need to still talk about some of the December releases, which I'll be going through over the holiday here. And I'm looking forward to talking and reviewing those titles with George when we get the chance here after the holiday. And as George mentioned, 2024 is the anniversary of the Warner Archive, the 15th anniversary. So we should hopefully have some exciting things in store and lots of good stuff planned by the Warner Archive over the course of the year. I think there was a little tease in there somewhere about maybe some TV. So I'm interested to see what that might be in the future. I want to thank everybody who listened to the Warner Archive podcast with George this year. As always, I know they are favorites, and I appreciate everybody's comments and response to those. 
And I'd like to take a minute to wish you and your family a happy holiday. Until next time, you've been listening to Tim Millard. Stay slightly obsessed. Hi, this is Tim Millard, host of the Extras Podcast. And I wanted to let you know that we have a new private Facebook group for fans of the Warner Archive and Warner Brothers Catalog physical media releases. So if that interests you, you can find the link on our Facebook page or look for the link in the podcast show notes.